Welcome to the Clean Truth, where we like to call bullshit on the status quo. What is up? Welcome back to the Clean Truth. I'm Don. I'm your host, Silver Fox. We got a very, very cool guest today. Um, special to me because he's 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 uh, been a guy I've been watching baseball on TV, and then I've gotten to you know a, into a pretty good friendship here the last couple of years. Kyle McClellan. How's it going, man? Good. How are you guys? Good. Uh, today's a big day for us here, man. I don't know if you saw it online, but we released our protein bar. So we're all jacked up on caffeine and, and protein bar. We're all going to be shitting our pants here in about two hours. Pretty much. So congrats, man. Yeah. I did see that come out earlier. Thank you. Well, man, um, let's introduce everybody to basically who you are in your baseball career, but then I want to dive really deep into brace for impact and kind of share with everybody what brace for impact is and what it does. Cause I've I've been a part of it on the trip to Haiti a few years ago and, and actually seen what it does. And I, I think it's very cool. It's a very, very touching organization and does a lot of cool things. So I wanted to share it. Talk about your baseball career. Let's start there. Your family. Let everybody kind of know who Kyle McClellan is and, and where you guys came from. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up here in St. Louis and um, grew up a huge Cardinals fan. You know, my dad had season tickets. Uh, he worked for Oscar Meyer and um, – kind of ran the season tickets for his company. So I remember going, I think he had 16 or 18 tickets every year. And, you know, me and my brother and sister, we would take turns of going, going to the game with him or the whole family. And um, so many memories going down there. And, and uh, as I got through high school, I was about a junior in, uh, in high school and started to figure out, like, I have a chance to maybe go play college baseball, uh, maybe junior college and get college paid for. And, and go from there. And so that was kind of my goal. And, and then um, I continued to develop and um, signed a scholarship to University of Missouri and was going to go play for the Tigers. And then uh, that June, after my senior year, I got drafted by the Cardinals. So of all the teams, you know, you got all 30 teams and through the process, uh, teams coming to your house and, and doing home visits and getting to know you and the family. And uh, it was always, you know, I always say to my mom, um, when, when the other scouts had come over, she'd have to hide because we had Cardinal coasters. My room had Cardinal, you know, posters all over. So we had to close my door because it was right next to the bathroom if they needed to go to the bathroom. And when the Cardinal scout came over, she was like, man, we were prepared. We had all kinds of Cardinal stuff for everything. And, and, um, you know, so it's just cool that to, to be drafted by the Cardinals and, and have that opportunity. Then I had a decision. I was 17 years old at the time. Do I go to college? and spend three years there and try to develop and get my education or do I sign professionally? And that's a hard decision, man, for a 17 year old kid to make it. And especially yeah. the emotional attachment to the hometown team. And, you know, what do you, what do you do? Um, ultimately decided, I thought my best chance to make it to the major leagues was to, to sign professionally. So gave up that opportunity at Mizzou and, uh, and signed with the Cardinals and spent six years in the minor leagues. Um, I think what everybody sees when guys get to the big leagues and they make their major league debut or they become superstars in the major leagues, they, they just see that part of it, man. It is such a grind and such a long road. And, and the percentage chance of guys making it from the minor leagues is like 4% of guys that are drafted, make it to the big leagues. So, you know, what you're seeing is such a small fraction of the reality of what guys go through and the grind and the, the lessons learned and all that. Um, but I, I spent six years down there grinding it out. I had two surgeries, uh, 22 months of rehab, trying to get back. And uh, once it clicked for me, it clicked. And, and it was, I was lucky because I was running out of time. You know, in the minor leagues, you don't have a lot of time. 
you got to continue to develop and show promise. And if you have a setback, man, there's 50 new guys getting drafted right behind you that are coming for your spot. And um, so you get replaced really quickly. And so uh, you, you can get stale really quickly, you know, with, with an organization. So I ended up in 2008, making it to the big leagues uh, out of spring training. It was one of those deals. I had 0% chance of making the team. I pitch well, a couple guys get hurt. It was like the perfect storm for me personally. You never wish anybody, you know, to be hurt or anything, but when it does happen, you got to be there and be prepared to, to, to take advantage of, of an opportunity. And I was able to do that and uh, made it, made my major league debut on opening day in 2008 here in St. Louis in front of all my friends and family. I was um, there. And, you know, I, what's that? I was there. You were there? Yeah. Two yeah. Years yeah. Eight, yeah. It was, uh, it was the highlight of my career. People ask all the time, what's the highlight of your career? Winning a World Series? Like, yeah, I mean, that's that's obvious. But, uh, man, that Major League debut, because of what it meant, all the people that helped me get to that point, all of the, the ups and downs and the coaches and the parents and what my parents sacrificed, you know, it just meant so much to be able to to walk out on that field and, and, uh, and be able to do that. Then you have, uh, you know, so for five years, I stayed there. I never went back down to the minor leagues. I, I stayed with the Cardinals. I... I did a lot of different things. I pitched in late relief. I, I started in 2011 when Adam Wainwright had his Tommy John surgery and um, started there for half the year and was a part of the 2011 World Series team and uh, ultimately led to kind of the fall for me as well. My, my shoulder, uh, I went through a lot more innings that year than I've ever had, and my shoulder was never the same after. And so 2012, had surgery, got released by the Cardinals, went to Texas for a year, um, didn't, didn't perform very well. there. still trying to battle, you know, you convince yourself you're healthy and you're not, and you think you can go out and do it at 80% and you can't, you can't even do it at 98%. You know I mean? You can't, you, you just, you gotta be at the top, at the top of your game and, um, had a tough year there, spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and then, uh, came back, uh, trying to rehab another surgery and make it through and, and couldn't do it. So I was 27, uh, 27, 28 retired. Uh, and trying to think of, you know, what's next. I had a, had a good career in, in baseball, um, learned a lot, met a ton of great people, and uh, was ready to kind of move on to the next phase of my life. But uh, the baseball side, I, I tell people all the time, the baseball side is what I, it's what I have to talk about. I'm here in St. Louis. Um, the, the memories, the experiences, all of that is great. Uh, but it really gave me the, the platform and the ability to do the second part of my life, which is what I truly um, love to do and, and excited that my wife and I get to do together. Awesome. You know, you were talking about the, the whole draft experience and stuff like that. We just had um, um, Ryan Jeffers, Ryan Jeffers on a few episodes ago. And it's, it's, it's always kind of cool because Ben and I are both big baseball guys. And when I met him, he was a strength coach at the, at the university here and, and was a big part of the baseball program there. And when we moved from St. Louis to here, I didn't have baseball anymore. It wasn't like I wasn't 20 minutes from the stadium to where I could just go to a game on a Thursday if I wanted to go. So when the baseball coaches and everything here from the university kind of took me and Yvonne in and they were eating at the restaurant every day and I could sit there and just bullshit about baseball for two hours with them every day. Then I got into like a booster thing and we started donating money to them when we could and stuff like that. So that relationship just kind of grew and then starting to – get to know some of the guys their freshman year, sophomore year, and seeing some of these guys go through their whole college career. And then a guy like Ryan gets dra drafted by the twins. And it, I think it's just cool to see it's a different experience for each guy. Like you said, it's not, it's never the same routine for everybody because it's, I mean, baseball's a business, you know what I mean? So I don't know. 
that many. Yeah, I mean, his was super, super quick, like compared to Kyle's, like right. which he's completely like grateful and knows that it's lucky the way that it fell for him. So sure. pretty cool. Yeah, I, I say all the time, my son. I mean, he's he's uh, seven years old, but I say all the time, if my son was in my same situation, he would go to college, knowing what I know now and the obstacles that a high school kid faces over a college kid. Uh, I don't know the statistics. I would bet you if you take the the Latin guys out of the equation, um, if you take the American guys that are in the big leagues, I would guess, and I could be totally wrong on this, I would guess it's probably 80-20 college versus high school. And, and, you're, and probably 80% of those high school kids that are there are probably first-round picks. Um, you know, your first-round picks are going to get the most opportunity to get there. But if you're not a first-round pick as a high school kid, it is so hard. And, and it's it's nothing against you. It's just that you're, you're entering into, and you're now competing against 21 year olds who are polished coming out of these universities yeah. and they're mature. You know, like is a 21 year old college kid mature? No, but is he mature compared to a 17 year old high school kid? Absolutely. You know, he's had those life experiences. He's been on his own. He's had adversity. He's competed against uh, a higher level. You know, I, I always say I, when I walked onto the field in high school, I was the best player on the field. Like, and that's, I'm not saying that arrogantly, that's just, that that's just the way it was when i walked onto the field in pro ball i was the farthest from the best player on the field and that was a huge adjustment you know like i didn't have to i could just go out there and and beat people because i threw 90 miles an hour in high school and people weren't used to seeing that and in pro ball it's like 90s the you know that's like the everyday deal that's no big deal then so i had to learn how to do that so much faster and now as a professional with expectation on it it's tough it, it is um it is a mental challenge it's it's a physical challenge and, and it's performance driven and you don't have a lot of time to figure it out you know if you're not a first round pick they're not going to give you a whole lot of time to figure that part out and everything and anything that we know about the process right now from a high school to a college like side of things is completely about to change with what's happened in the last year yeah like you're going to see the you're going to see the quality of major league baseball i think dip uh, because you're going to have this void where some of your guys that are that are aging out, you know, when you're when you're counting on those rookies to come in, I think your your veterans going to become more valuable, and they're going to pay for them to stick around a little bit more because they don't have, you know, to take a year off of minor leagues is a huge deal. You know, the minor leagues didn't play all year last year, right? And and who knows if they're going to play this year? You know, right. I mean, it, it's a struggle to get MLB to play. You know, if they take two years off, you're going to see a huge um, kind of recession in the the development of younger players. Well, I think, you know, to, to allude to what you were just talking about, the other thing I can uh, kind of compare that to is Casey Schroeder, you know, the guy that owns our Columbus, Ohio franchise. He was a minor league guy with the White Sox. And I remember him telling me that it was, you know, the business side of of baseball kind of kills development as well, you know, and especially in his case because, you know, he was a top-round pick. And then the very next year, I can't remember the guy's name, but they 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 invested a lot of money in a catcher, yep. and it, he just got overshadowed like within months. And it was, I mean, from then on, it was like it's that fast. His relevancy was gone like that. So, but you know, part of the part of it is you got to be at the right place at the right time, you know, and and things have to fall in. And they always say in the minor leagues, you're, you're playing when you're out there competing you're showcasing for the other 29 teams because sure. who knows, you know, if you're a first baseman. Uh, in the early 2000s for the St. Louis Cardinals, good luck, you know, because yeah. they had a guy named Albert Pools that was holding down the fort there for quite a while, and he was pretty good. 
And so you better learn one to play another position or you better hope that another organization sees your value and you can continue to develop, you know, that way so that you can uh, be valuable to another organization. And that, that's just, that's just the, the harsh reality of, you know, the business side. And um, I, I was our player rep too, when, when I was in, in the big league. So I got to see more of that business side, which I enjoy. I, I like, um, I was a part of that CBA in 2011 that we negotiated with MLB. I was on the negotiating committee for that. And, um, you know, so you get to peel back the curtain a little bit and see some of it. And, and some of it's, uh, fun and enjoyable other times when you're going through it, it's, it's not the best. Speaking of 2011, I remember exactly where I was, where I was standing. I was on the, on the porch at patios, probably 200 yards from home, home plate. When, <laughs> when that, when that game ended, looked a little bit smaller to and you. I felt the ground shake. That's the only time I've, I was there. I think you just got chills a little bit. I did. It, it's still like it, I, I remember that stuff. So I mean, in the um, the previous World Championships, same place. I was at patio, same place, and it was the same thing. Like that city just erupted. But that had to be that had to be something to be there. I've I mean, that World Series for me. There's only one thing that I've ever regretted as being a baseball fan. I'm never going to live this down, by the way. So if once I admit this, you're going to break my balls for it. But you left early in game six, I guess. No, 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 even worse. <laughs> so Yvonne and I were living in like a little studio apartment, probably the size of this office at the time, because it was before, um, before we moved here. So, and I was blasted. I was dieting for a show and, and everything else. So I fell asleep in the game oh, and freeze man. hit that home run. I did not see, actually watch it. I had to watch it the next morning. I, I never, I've never lived that down. She still gives me shit for that. That's not near as bad as the people that left. You know, people are exiting and and, uh, Rangers fans that were in town, they're coming down and kind of taking control of those seats down by the field. Cardinals fans are kind of letting them get down there for the celebration. And, you know, and then all of a sudden they're trying to get back in. They wouldn't let them back in. So think about being in the parking lot. You start hearing some cheers. You're getting, you know, updates of what's happening. You're listening to KMOX on your way out. Very true. Let's get back in there. And they wouldn't let them back in. That's a, that's a tough one to swallow there. Yeah. I mean, I watch reruns of that World Series all the time. And <laughs> still, I'm like, you know, it was a, that, that whole stretch there. When you're on a team, if you've ever been in a team sport um, and you get on a roll, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's times where you show up to the field and you know you're going to win. Yep. And when we were down in September and we had that conversation, we had a, a, a essentially a locker room meeting, which Tony wasn't big on. He wasn't big on meetings. We'd have one at the beginning, one at the all-star break, and maybe he'd sprinkle one in there if, if we needed kind of a kick. And um, he told Chris Carpenter to lead the meeting, and he didn't want to be a part of it because he, he doesn't believe in the rah-rah kind of thing. Um, and he thinks that his message gets stale if you, if you deliver too many times. And so Carp stood up and, you know, just kind of said, hey, uh, first off, we apologize to the guys that we traded and brought over here. You know, we, we brought you over here thinking that we were going to have a chance at this thing, and it just hasn't turned out. And, you know, but here's the thing, we're professionals, we're being paid every day, we owe it to our fan base, we owe it to ourselves, and we owe it to ownership to go out there and compete every day. And we're not going to, we're not going to let up, let's just see what happens, you know, let's just, let's go out there, let's take the pressure off. And let's go out and just do our thing. And, and I don't know if it was that speech, you know, but it was, all of a sudden, we start winning, and we start winning, and we start winning. And, and uh, Atlanta starts losing and losing and losing. And, and lead starts shrinking and you're still sitting out in the outfield during batting practice you're like ah we're nine and a half out you know with a month ago like we got no shot but 
whatever. And that next day it's eight, next day at seven, next day at six. And, and uh, you just had this sense when you showed up to the field and you walked in there, you knew you were going to win. Uh, even if you got down two nothing in the first inning, you just had this feeling. And sure enough, we did. And that momentum carried all the way through the postseason. Um, we had Rafael for call to me was one of the best pickups we had at the all-star break. And he was kind of a quiet late acquisition that we got, but he was such a spark at the top of the lineup. There's so many games where he would lead off with a double or a triple or a base hit and we'd be up one nothing right away. And then you got our, our, our dogs out there hunting. You got Carp and Wayno out there. Just, just, uh, or Wayno wasn't there that year, but he got Carp out there. You got our, our starting rotation going to work with the lead. That's a different, that's a different feeling. Sure. And, uh, that carried all the way through the postseason, And when we got down, we weren't worried about it. It was like, everybody's looking around loose, relaxed, knowing like we can come back from this. And, um, and then it's one of those things that you're just rolling through. You don't even think about, you, you have no idea the magnitude of the situation you're in. You're just rolling with it. And, and you know that you get to keep playing, you keep going to the next one. Um, and next thing you know, we're, we're standing on that stage celebrating. Awesome. Big time. I could listen to that all day. Yeah. <laughs> well let's let's talk about brace for impact man i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you lead this and kind of explain it all from the very beginning because it's it's a great organization and and it's touched me and and i just i, I want to share it i want everybody to know what this is so yeah so um like i said when i got done i was trying to figure out that what's next you know um and um my wife and i always wanted to get involved kind of on, on the charity side when I was playing, especially, but it just wasn't the right fit. Playing here in St. Louis, I really tried to put myself in a bubble so that people couldn't get to me so that I could focus on baseball. It, it's, I didn't want to be sitting in Memphis in, in AAA, um, you know, thinking, man, I, I, if I would have just concentrated a little more or not done so many different things, I probably would still be there. And uh, I knew that that was my first and foremost priority. And, and so running a charity at that point, you know, wasn't, wasn't really in the cards. And for me also, I'm not a guy to just put my name on something and hope it gets run correctly. And if my name's on it and associated with it, it needs to be run to the expectation that I have and my wife has on our standard. And, and so to do that, I want to be hands-on. That's part of it. The other part of it is if, if, if I was going to get involved in this, I wanted it to, to truly change me and transform me as well. And that's going to happen by, by getting, you know, getting your hands dirty. So uh, three years of, of looking for something to do here in St. Louis and, and couldn't really find our right fit. And Adam Wainwright and his wife invited us to Haiti in 2014. It was January of 2014. And uh, Adam and I are very good friends. Adam and I think very similarly in terms of uh, helping people and, and charitable and kind of the ways and approaches of that. We've talked, we spent many times in the outfield talking about that. And so I knew if Adam was supporting something, it was something that's been vetted, something that I can trust, um, you know, to, to get behind ourselves. And so we went down there and the purpose of the trip was to see what him and his wife had had gotten involved in and to see if they wanted to continue to support it or if it didn't work out the way that they wanted and they needed to move a different direction. And so uh, they had helped build a, a children's home that uh, the story of this is there's six kids that grew up in an orphanage that had an idea to do what people had done for them. And when our partner from Pittsburgh went down there over 30 years ago, the kids approached him and said, hey, we have this vision that God's given us to do what people have done for us. We think you're here to help us. Long story short of that is nothing happened for a long, long time. Um, when the earthquake hit in um, 2010, attention got paid to Haiti and our partner started to be able to raise some funds. Well, Adam and Jenny came in at that point and finished the funding needed for this children's home. Well, we were on that trip four years later to see it's been built, the kids are in there and just see kind of what, what the story is with it. 
when we got there, I, I couldn't tell you prior to the trip what my wife and I were looking for um, and why we haven't found it and, and what that, you know, there wasn't a checklist of things that you have to do this, this, and this, and then we're going to support. But when I got there to Haiti, I knew it. And uh, I knew that's where we needed to be. And I think it's funny, uh, slightly funny, kind of humorous that I didn't want to go internationally. Like we wanted our support to be in St. Louis. I'm born here, raised here, from here raised my family here now, played here, won a World Series here. Like St. Louis is where I wanted that. But I also wonder if there was a little selfish desire in there as well um, for, you know, also growing my name. Um, and I think there might have been some of that in there. And and uh, and so it's funny that we kind of get steered to Haiti. And the other reason I think we get steered to Haiti is we, we had great intentions and great passion, but we didn't have the experience and knowledge we needed to be successful. And we gained that through our time in Haiti. And what I mean by that is, I think our philosophy in St. Louis, just being kind of the, the passionate person that wants to help is, hey, this is this is what we want. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This is what we want the program to look like um, because we're funding this. And the reality is when you're helping in poverty alleviation, the biggest mistake I think people can make is to come in and think they know the answers. Um, I don't know the answers because I don't live in those conditions. Uh, we help here in St. Louis, in, in North City, St. Louis. I grew up in North County. North County and North City are very different. I grew up very different than a lot of people grew up in North City. And so I don't know the, the challenges that these people go through on a daily basis. All of us can head down there and Don, I would even include you in this. You've been down there once, but if, if we all flew down there and said, hey, what are the things that are needed here to help these people? We would all come up with good ideas, but it wouldn't be the things that are actually needed because a lot of times we tend to think so high level. You know, we think government and structure and and trash and you know this that, and the other but we're missing the little nitty-gritty things that these people experience every day that we don't think about because we've never encountered those situations and so what we really learned is how to trust local leadership find people that you trust that have a passion and desire to help people in their community and support them and i think that's been the number one thing that we've learned through this whole process that has made us successful um, we're not the implementators of our program we're the funders of our program we have the people on the ground that make those data, data decisions and tell us what's needed and what's changing on the ground. Cause I can't go to Haiti every day. I can't go to North city every day to keep tabs on that. And so we trust our partners. We have uh, trusted relationships with them and, and we do our job, which is to go fundraise. And uh, we're so blessed to be able to do that and to play that role and, and to leverage. I always say I've, I've with a lot of people with a lot of money and, and very successful and great network. I get to leverage that in a very healthy way to make a difference for people. I don't, I don't exploit people. I don't take advantage of people. Um, but I get to, to health, healthily leverage that relationship to, to make a difference for people. And I love that. You know, I, I feel like those relationships have been presented and, and, and given to me in just exactly to do that. And, um, and so we've been able to support Haiti. We have a children's home, um, a school. We have over 300 kids to get a chance to go to school every day that would normally not have the opportunity. These kids are not going to school. Um, so this is a big deal for the community. We have a hospital that a kid that grew up in our orphanage became a doctor, went to seven years medical school. He's running this hospital that's staffed by, I don't know, Don, 100, 150 people a day. I don't know how many employees there are, but you've seen it. It's pretty impressive. Is it even that um, many? I didn't think it was even that many. It seems like a lot between the community health and there, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big facility with nurses and staff and cleaning crews and you know stuff like that so you're sure. supporting them and their families through that process um, water and sanitation for 40,000 people and clean drinking water 1100 toilets we put in the community which it doesn't seem like putting a toilet in is really exciting but I think Don through those four or five days down there kind of learned the 
you know, how a toilet, a $600 toilet can make a huge difference for, for a family and, um, a vocational school that were just open up. We're trying to do some business, um, type things there. So it's just been really cool there. And, on, and, and then we came back to St. Louis two years into it and started a program here where we, we, we support a partner who buys and renovates, uh, houses in very poor condition, um, in a very, uh, uh pinpointed area. They're all rehab with local contractors. We hired a 77% minority rate. So one of the focuses we have is we're not going to come in and swing the hammer and do the work that we're not really qualified to do. We're going to employ people that are from and around the community that want to be a part of this transformation and also then take ownership of this community and the work being done and, and take care of it and protect it because it's providing for their family. And when you're talking about community development, it's not just the end result. It's how many people can we bring along through this process and help and support and um, and so that's what we get to do in St. Louis. Then families go into those homes. They get a community coordinator that works with those families to help stabilize them and their kids and put them on a path for success. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've grown extremely quickly in five years. Um, we're a small team of three. My wife uh, is our executive director. Stevenson's our program manager. And I'm chief volunteer. I don't get paid to do this. Uh, huh. This is just something that, that I do. And um, so we're really a, a team of two a staff of two that, uh, that gets to go out and try to change the world. That's awesome, man. You know, you, you were talking about the, the toilets and the small things around the community down there. That's just one of like many, like dozens of things, you know, and that's, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many people I told this kind of stuff to when we got back from that trip, you know, and it's just, it's very simple little everyday things that we here take for granted. You know, and it's, it, it'll, it'll really open your eyes and, and it'll give you chills down to the bone when you see when you're in an environment like that, that, you know, those people, they can't help it. They don't, they don't, they don't have a choice, you know, so electricity, running water, a toilet, you know, a warm roof over your head nine times out of 10, those sort of things, I, I, I can't even put words. So I still, to this day, and that was two, what, two years ago we went down there. I still cannot put it into words and describe it to people sometimes, you know what I mean? I, and I don't. I mean, and you can tell me if this is selfish, Kyle, but there's sometimes like there's parts of that trip that I still don't talk about because I want to keep it to myself. Is that wrong to yeah. do or should I? Well, no, and there's there's a uh, man, everybody handles those trips differently. And, and it's it's always cool to see how it unfolds. And, um, you know, what I always tell people on those trips is, you know, you're not here. You, we didn't bring you here. And your, your trip is a little different because Sal set that whole trip. That was the only trip I've ever been on that I didn't personally know everybody on it. Um, or had communicated with them prior to the trip. I'm very careful about our trips and how we put them together and the camaraderie that, that we try to build on those. And so, you know, trusting no one and trusting Sal to do his own thing and, um, you know, bring quality people that are going to, you know, thrive in that environment. But it, it's, I always tell people like, you're, you're not, some people think we invite them on the trip because we want to, we want to get them, you know, like at the end, we're going to have our, our handout with a bucket and we expect them to make large contributions. That's not it. I mean, you know, when people come down there, if they support us and, you know, sponsor one of our kids as a child sponsorship program or, you know, buy our coffee or, you know, uh, come to our events or send us money monthly, whatever it is like, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, if, if it changes you and changes your outlook and, and, and kind of puts a, a, um, a softer spot in your heart for, for people, like you said, Don, it, those people have done nothing to, to deserve that, to the situation they're in. And, um, I think a lot of people you'll hear here say, you know, we just need to work harder and you can overcome those situations. Well, that's not necessarily the case because I would tell you that the people down there, 
probably work harder than most people that me and you know. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's not getting better for them. There's just no opportunity. Like here in the States, we're so blessed because, yeah, that, that approach can work here because there is opportunity to grow into. Down there, there's just so many barriers that they're up against. It's just a whole different deal. And and I can tell you, I was extremely uncomfortable when I went down there. And at any time in my life that I've grown, it's because I put myself in that uncomfortable situation. And so I hope that those trips for people, one, they can learn like, man, I got to put myself out there a little more. I need to explore a little more. I need to to be a little bit more compassionate and understanding to other people in their situations. And and mostly, I love those those trips because a lot of people that we take down have never been in a situation where they're completely helpless. There's nothing that they can do in that situation. There's no answer they have. They can't fix it with anything. And it, it messes them. It messes them up. You know, like you take a lot of successful people down there, or business owners or CEOs or people that are used to making decisions and changing things right away. It doesn't matter. Um, down this completely puts everybody on the same playing field. And it, and it, 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 it kind of, te- uh, you know, hits everybody differently. But it's fun to see it unfold for people and see how, you know, how that goes. And the fact there's things you don't share and that you keep yourself. I love that because that to me means that the one thing I regret and I can tell when I've been down there uh, consecutively and when like, man, I need to get back, you know, like I'm there's some things that I'm not seeing clearly. I need to get back. I need to to just kind of reset myself. And hopefully those little moments for you here are those times where you can go back there and kind of reset yourself until we can get back down again. No, you hit the nail on the head. So that's what I was going to say was. You know, the re- I think the reason that I do that is that that trip did something very similar to what, you know, the very first summer strong that I went to, you know, that that trip did the something very similar to that, where, you know, when I got down there, it opened my eyes up, like you said, to the the things that I was dealing with here and that I thought were stressors here and that were you know, weighing me down and was giving me anxiety and stuff like that. Those aren't problems, man. Those are, you go down there and you spend time down there and you see that part of the world. We got life by the balls. Like you don't have problems here. That's just a simple fact. And, you know, it makes you, it'll, it'll bring you back down. It'll, it'll recent, like you said, it'll recenter you. And, you know, that's what the summer strong thing for me did. I was, it was at kind of a very similar point. So, I, I totally agree with what you said about business owners and, and people who are used to making decisions, getting down there and mm-hmm. getting uncomfortable and putting themselves in an uncomfortable position. And I, I agree with you, man. I'm, I'm due for one. I could do one right now. I could get up out of this yeah, chair are, and, and go do it. <laughs> we, are, we are dying to get down there. We're trying to figure out, um, you know, we got to figure out this. We're, we're in this struggle right now because with, with COVID, COVID hasn't really messed with them medically. Um, economically, it's, it's crippled them. I mean, even more so because we've been affected by it, which then affects them. We've had to make some tough decisions this past year that haven't been fun that have, you know, kind of put, put, uh, put them in a bad spot. Um, but from the medical side of things too, like there's a real danger. We've done a lot of really cool things in that community and we're welcomed in that community. I think the people enjoy when we're there. We're very careful about that. As Don knows, I give a pretty, pointed speech day one of this is how we conduct ourselves this is how we act. I don't care who you are, how you go about it. This is the way you're going to do it. And you're going to fall in line or you're not going to be, you're not going to be a part of our group. And, and that's to protect that, you know, uh, that current group, but also the next couple groups that come in after that, because we handle ourselves in the right way. If we brought this virus down and started running through that community and, and it started killing people, man, we would never be let back in that community. And so we have to be so careful 
this is one of the rare times where we are the problem um, just because of, of how much of this virus is going around. And so with the vaccine being so close, you know, we're trying to figure out like, what do we do um, from that standpoint, from the safety of the people that we love and care about, you know, do we, do we need to make sure that people are vaccinated before they go down there, or, you know, have a chance for this thing to kind of calm down a little bit. And, um, so I think we're going to send a medical team down here, which would be the first team we've sent since March. And because they're all getting vaccinated, so it'd be a safe way to send them and also send a message to that community, then that village that like, we're, we're still here, you know, like as soon as we're able to get down here, we're here, but we're also here in a safe way because we care about you and we're not going to put you at risk. And, um, so it's a delicate balance. Um, you got to take all the political stuff out of it and just sit back and big picture, like, man, what's best for the whole thing. And, um, I'm dying to get down there. I wanted to go on the medical trip. I'm just like, well, I'm one guy I can get tested before I go, but we're, I feel like we're so close to this thing. It's just not, not the right thing for me to do and go down there, but we will hopefully be down there soon and, and hopefully be, you know, talking with Sal and the guys over at first form and see if we can get another one of our trips there, hopefully later on in this year. And, get down there and get back to it i'm usually down there six times a year so it's been yeah i was gonna say you guys will go a couple times a year i thought yeah we we send a medical team four times a year and i don't go on all those but there's reasons that i'm popping down trips i'm taking so it without me i haven't been there since march and it's we were supposed to take our kids last summer um for the first time which i mean i was uh, I, i couldn't wait you know to my daughter has a a girl down there that you know, they write back and forth to each other and, and color pictures for each other. And, you know, I just can't wait to put their hands together and say, Emanuela, this is Olivia. Olivia, Emanuela, uh, go, go play, you know, and, and, uh, and, and see that interaction. And my son, I, Don, I'm sure you remember Claude. I think, I think Claude and, and my son oh, are yeah. going to be uh, good, good friends when they run around down there getting in trouble together. And, you know, so that, that was a bummer. That was, uh, I feel like we were robbed of that last year, but Hopefully at some point we're able to get him back down there. Do you know if Sal still, does he keep contact with the Marco was his name on it? Yeah, there's a, he doesn't keep in contact with him, but, but we've, um, we've, we've tried to do a few things. This whole thing has, has kind of tamped that down. Um, but we're trying to do some stuff. You know, there's a, the story of a kid that was in the community that, that Sal went two years, uh, three years ago, I guess, before the first form trip and, uh, and I would tell you, and I think Sal would tell you that child changed his life, just, just seeing him, taking a picture with him. And that's really what spurred the 30 for the kids through first form, which has been a massive fundraiser for us. And now two other organizations, which is awesome. Um, and, and it's just uh, kind of that touching moment that kind of hit Sal and, and the reality of it. And, um, very quietly, we, we don't, we have to be very careful in how we do this in the community, but very quietly, there's been some things done, you know, kind of under the radar and, um, we're trying to do a couple other things, but it's, we, we gotta be very careful in how we enter into, to that, you know, and signaling people out in a, in a community to, to do some stuff. But, you know, one of the cool things about this kid is, um, when he was there, I think one of the problems Sal had was that he was running around with no clothes on. It didn't, wasn't in school. And he's like, why isn't he in school? And I was like, well, he, you know, they can't afford to go to school and he lives, I mean, I don't know, 500 yards from the school. Um, so th- they approached him and his, his mom and they got him in school and we paid for him to go to school. So now he gets an education and, uh, and then Sal didn't like the clothes he was wearing. He's getting picked on cause he didn't have the, the uniform, the, like a clean uniform. So we got him hooked up with some stuff. And, um, but then the cool story is his mom works at the hospital. So because of our hospital, now she has an income to help provide for, 
for Marco and his brothers and sisters. And um, so it's just, it's one of those, he's a really cool kid. Um, he's a special kid. You see him, you know, you can't miss a smile when you see him. And to have that picture with Sal in the community with him, with Marco and just his little underwear on. And then the next year, uh, Sal picks him up as Marco's getting ready to walk into school in his school uniform and knowing that that kid's getting an education is, uh, you know, that's a big deal. That, that's, that could potentially be life-changing for that kid. Tell people uh, how much does school cost for somebody his age? Yeah, so it's about, uh, it's about $114 a year to send a kid to school. So, um, you know, and that, that covers like we, we pay for all the teachers, administrators, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the building's been paid for, um, Adam Wainwright, his wife built the school, um, brace for impact. We, we do, a, Adam builds a lot of buildings and we come in and kind of help with operating costs. So we, we help provide for the kids at the orphanage, provide education for kids at the school. We don't like the scholarship, all the kids, we would love for the parents to pay, even if it's not, you know, even if it's 10 bucks of that, we, we want them to have some skin in the game. Right. Um, and that way that education means even more to them. So this isn't a, just everybody's on scholarship, but we pay for the teachers and uh, to make sure that, um, you know, they have a, a great place to go. One of the other, there's, there's two programs we kind of developed out of that. We, we started our own coffee um, in partnership with Caldi's Coffee and we buy the beans in Haiti, ship them over here, call these roasts and we sell it on our website the kind of the niche we've made in that is for every 24 bags of coffee that we sell, we send one kid to school for a whole year. So I always tell people you're drinking coffee. Anyway, this coffee is a great coffee. Um, it, it, on the, on the scale of the coffee scale, it rates over an 80, which is extremely high. It's a premium, you know, coffee. Why not drink a great coffee and help send kids to school and make a difference. And then also on the, on the buying side of it, we're helping support farmers and workers and their families because we're buying from them down there. So, um, I would I would love to tell you as this grows, we're able to to switch this over and help our St. Louis project as well as we start to scale our our company and um, and and be able to do that. Right now, the initial investment came out of our Haiti program, and you know it makes sense right now. We'll change that messaging hopefully down the road and be able to to flip that impact here locally as well. Um, the other thing we're trying to do is we have these things built, so we have the hospital, we have the the, the school. Like on the hospital side, we send our medical trips. We don't do your typical medical trips where we go down and hundreds of people line up and we crank out as many patients as we can and we give them aspirin. What we try to do is bring down small groups, we call them little strike teams, bring down small groups that is asked for by our medical team and say, this is the areas we need to focus on. Cardiology is always one, OB is always one. Infant fatality rate is 38% in this community. We, we think we can get that down to single digits and we have, um, but we're gonna make even more progress on that. But we bring down people that are going to educate in those areas and they, they do seminars, they do training, they work with the local staff because what we don't want to do is come in and give the appearance that your, your staff here, your local staff here isn't adequate enough to serve the needs that you have. And so wait for us to come down. We'll do it for free. And then when we leave, they're all going to wait there. And be like, well, you're not good enough. When's your, when's your American friends come back? And it, it undermines the integrity of the workers that we're trying to build up and, and who are qualified to do this. So we try to work and train, and, and I say lead from behind on that instead of lead from out in front. The other thing we're working with is some teachers, some teacher training, because uh, we have these teachers. The reality is I don't know where these teachers come from. I don't know the quality of their education, how great of teachers they are. But if we have 300 students that are being affected by these teachers, let's, let's start a teacher training program with the local Haitian nonprofit that we've met who does phenomenal work. And also St. Louis uh, University School of Education wants to kind of co-partner with them 
and come in and, and, and they want to learn the Haitian system and then also kind of bring in some of the ways and things that they know that can help in terms of how to set up a classroom for interactive learning and, um, and things like that and enhance our, our teaching staff so that they can be the best that they can be. Our doctors can be the best that they can be. And that way we know that the money we're spending is going to help people, not just to put band-aids on it, but to actually truly get to the, to the root cause of, of these issues. And so those are kind of some of the ways that we tackle now that we have the things built and the programs established, how do we make those programs the best that we possibly can? It's awesome. One of the questions I had while you were just, you, you made me think of something here and where did you, where did you guys learn the, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the psychology is a good word to put, to use, but like the, the psychology and the thought process behind some of the things that you were just talking about, you know, you, you don't want, you don't want the people down there to under like not believe in their own staff. And then earlier we were talking about, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, you want people that go down there to conduct themselves a certain way. You know, there's a certain etiquette because you don't want to, you don't want to uh, exploit, you know, things that don't mm-hmm. need to be exploited and things like that. And so when you guys started the organization, how do people learn that kind of stuff? Is it by just local people down there saying, Hey man, this is what you don't want to, this is what's how you are supposed to do this and, and do's and don'ts and that sort of, you know what I'm trying to say? Like the, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a couple of ways. Um, our partner, Brad has been working in the nonprofit space for 30 years. He's amazing. Um, we're very different. Uh, I'm very like right now, let's get it done. Let's do it. Let's go forward. Brad's very patient, very calm, the total opposite of me, which I think makes for a great partnership. My agent was the same way when I played. Um, and, and we just made a great, we made a great team. And I always think about like, if I was president of the United States, I would put together a team around me with different personalities and different, you know, people to count. You don't want all the same personality around you telling you the same thing, because then you're never going to see the other side of it. So to have some of that conflict and have some of those discussions, I think is, is always healthy. Um, and so Brad in a great way is very different than, than I am. And so, you know, one of the early things, for instance, we were down there, one of the moms at the orphanage said, these kids need new clothes. We need some help with this. So, and of course we're all like, well, shoot, you know, here, we'll go home. We'll go to Walmart. We'll buy the whole store out and we'll ship it down to you. And Brad kind of let us go down that, that path. And then he said, well, really the, the best way to help is if, if we would give them money before we left and then they could go into the, into the, to the, to the market and buy the clothes from there. And that now you're supporting that vendor and that family or that lady that's working there on the street who's going to provide for her family. And so that kind of, that was like my first exposure to it. And I was like, Oh man, that, yeah, that makes total sense. Or I'm going to go home and grab all the stuff my kids don't use and send it over here. And, and then it's like, well, you know, if it's not good enough for your kids, why is it good enough for, for, for these kids here? Which, and is, I think, which is the well, norm. Definitely. Right. Like a lot of people think that's, yeah, absolutely. that's the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, look, it's way more expensive um, to, to do it a certain way. And, and, and the way we're doing it, I feel like, it is expensive um, in the North city side for us to, to do volunteer days and bring buses of people down there and, and do the work. It would save us a ton of money, but it's not the right way to do it in our mind. I'm not saying I'm not banging on other organizations. I'm not saying that our way is the perfect way, but for our partners and the way that we choose to do things, this is the way that we choose to do it. And, um, and so I think it's just one experience to being listening, you know, listening to local leadership, listening to Brad, again, it goes back to not thinking, you know, it all. And, and then when you get the experience in that, it just starts to build and you can see it, you know, when you're doing things a certain way and it starts to work out and you see the benefit of that and you hear the stories, 
then it then you can't you want more you want more you want more and, and, and you want to okay let's look at the way we're doing this are we are we maximizing uh, this avenue of our program i think the other side of it is our program manager stevenson um he grew up in haiti in two different orphanages got adopted to a family 10 years ago here in the states and uh, went to college got a degree in nonprofit administration and he works for us and his insight um you know it gives you a totally different perspective on the haiti side he he gets it you know he's lived it he's been through it um and, and so you're getting the perspective from the from somebody that lived that life that we're trying to help and we want to make sure we're perceived in a way that's healthy to that child and not in a way that feels like they're being exploited yeah you guys so, are definitely the long the long-term play as opposed to the, the short-term yeah. quick fix sure. yeah yeah so I think a lot of experience, a lot of, you know, talk, we, we try to meet with nonprofits all over the place. And I can tell you within 30 seconds sitting down with a nonprofit, if we're going to sync up or not, you know, because it's just the way people talk, the way they go about it, the intentionality that they put into their process and what they're doing, you can tell immediately if this is something that's long-term sustainable, or if this is something that they have tactic we're going to try to avoid. And we try to learn from them, good or bad, and, and, and mold it into what we do. But I, I also think we have amazing, strong leadership on both sides that won't be pushed around that won't just conform to you know us because we're the funders but say no this is how this is my vision of how we're going to transform the community and you're not going to change that because i'm here every day i understand it this is what i want to do if you want to get on board and support that let let's go let's team up but if you're going to try to push and and sway us one way or other um we're not the right fit. And we've walked away from donors. We've walked away from donors with a lot of money that it's just, it just wasn't worth my time to battle that and to try to convince them all the time. Well, you don't want we to have your integrity either. Absolutely. And it's, and what you learn is it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth your time to chase. I don't chase money. I don't ever chase money. This is who we are. This is what we do. If you want to be on board and support us and try to elevate our platform, like we're doing for our partners, let's go, let's do it. But you got to trust me. You got to trust me and our process and what we're doing. I don't need you in here running our organization. I don't come in and try to tell you how to run your business. I'm asking you to support us, but not try to come in and run ours. And, and if you don't want to be a part of that, I don't take offense to that. That's fine. It, you know, I hope that you support organizations that are doing great things. And if we're not the great fit, I'm okay with that. And I think being able to walk away from those deals has, has really helped us because we don't have, you know, I'm not trying to please anybody. I'm trying to make sure we do right with our partners. And I think people appreciate that might be a strong personality. I don't, you know, people might see it as arrogant, but the reality is I don't want to deal with putting fires out all the time and babysitting. No doubt. I don't have time for that. Well, Kyle, man, thank you for joining us. That I mean, I could sit there and talk about that stuff all day long. No doubt. But before we jump off though, do you want to let everybody know where they can find Brace for Impact, how they can get involved and, and, and that sort of thing? Yep. Um, so our website, braceforimpact46.com is, is our website. You can go poke around on there. We got some videos and pictures. Um, really, I would, I would steer you a couple of things. On the North City side of St. Louis and, and inner city work is, is a passion of yours. We, you know, we, we would love your support on that. Uh, on the international side, we have a couple more programs that are available. Like I said, we have the coffee that, that makes a huge impact. We have a subscription on that that keeps your cost down. And every three months, we'll ship it to you um, to keep it fresh and keep your cost down. Our child sponsorship is something we're really trying to grow um, and, and so that we can um, help get more stabilized support that, that um, through the month that, that we know is going to come in. So that's something that we're really hoping to take off this year on. And uh, 
Uh, and then on the international side, if you're, if you're pa passionate about medical, on feeding, on water sanitation, on uh, orphan care, I mean, we have all of those different things, you know, shoot us a message and we can, you know, talk you through that and, and let you know, but um, we can find anything that, that you're passionate about and make it fit and, and make sure that, that your funds are being put to use in a way that makes a huge difference. Awesome, man. Thank you again. I can't, I can't thank you enough yeah. for your time today. I know you're a busy guy, so this was cool. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, guys. Till next time.